And um, I love the fact that he went through 33 years knowing his purpose and never once turned from it and said, I don't want to do it. Uh, In fact, when others tried to come to his aid and prevent the crucifixion, he rebuked them and said, nope, this has to happen. And said, I could call angels, legions of angels, and they'd come at a moment's notice. But he chose willingly to come and die for you and for me. What a, what a wonderful Savior. It's really the only adjective we can use for him to really express humanly. He's wonderful. And uh, appreciate that song. Well, let's turn to Matthew chapter 14. I have thoroughly enjoyed the day, and uh, God has used... Uh, the messages in my life this week is uh, I've gone through some things and uh, as I've studied it uh, has kind of hit me harder than maybe it has on some other weeks and it caused me to pay a little more attention and to dig a little deeper on some things but uh, enjoyed the study in Habakkuk this morning. Boy, what a, what a blessing. Uh I guess there, the reason it hit me so strongly is I can relate a lot to Habakkuk's position at the beginning as he wrote. And uh, I can also relate to a lot to the ending of it. And uh, to know that I'm not alone in some of those feelings and not alone in how God oftentimes uh, brings great faith and confidence in Him. And uh, I think if you've been through any trial at all, there have time, been times where we've questioned, wondered what God was doing, and yet to see His hand at work and Him to always, always be faithful. Uh, and it's wonderful to see that. And I, I really enjoyed that study this morning. And then I uh, enjoyed uh, the study in Matthew 5 on Year of the Salt of the Earth. And we spoke a little bit about uh, having a savor. Lord willing, next week we'll deal with the light of the world. And uh, I'll, I'll repeat this again, I'm sure, next week as we deal with this. But it's interesting that when he used these two illustrations for his disciples, he used one of them that dealt with more inward what they were, salt that had savor. Uh, the second illustration deals with not what they are inwardly, but what they are outwardly, and that they are to be a light to the world. And we'll deal a little bit more with that next week. I don't want to preach next week's message, although I really want to already. It'd be good. But uh, looking forward to next Sunday. And if the rapture happens, I guess we'll have to let the Lord teach that lesson, and He'll do a far better job of it than I will anyway. So uh, we'll look forward to that. But uh, Matthew chapter 14, I want to kind of build off of the foundation of the 11 o'clock hour and the importance of salt that is a savory salt. There's no doubt that the, the natural man, the, the corroding effect, the eroding effect, the uh, caustic effect of the natural man on this earth um, is, certainly is seen. Um, and then when that uh, transforming work of Christ comes inside of us, He makes us a new creature, the Bible says. We should no longer be that caustic eroding effect on the earth and on the morals of mankind. But now we should seek after the things of the Lord and His righteousness. 
And uh, we talked a little bit about that and the importance of being salt that didn't lose its savor. And we said that there are two ways that salt can lose its savor, uh, or two ways to keep its savor, or to have its savor. First of all is to have a close personal walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, in His Word, the only truth that we have, uh, the only thing that can transform the heart of another man is the truth of God's Word, not our thoughts, uh, certainly not our ideas or our philosophy. I'm amazed, and I was talking with uh, some folks here, uh, been a few months ago now, uh, I was talking to a group of folks, and they made a statement. They said, uh, they, we, we, they, uh, said oh, I think this, and I said, well, that's great, I'm glad you think that. I said, but the truth is, man is fallible, and our thoughts can be wrong. I don't know if we realize that or not, but as humans, sometimes what we think is wrong. Or as we men like to say, not wrong, but not as right as we had hoped we had been, because we don't like to say we're wrong. But uh, man is fallible. But we have one source of truth in this world that is infallible. It is without error. It is inspired by God, and it is preserved without error in our English-speaking people, to English-speaking people here in this King James Version of Scripture. It is something that we can rest our authority on. Something that when we teach or preach the message of the Lord Jesus Christ, we don't have to worry about trying to explain away the problems with the translation. Uh, it says what it says, and it means what it says. And it is what it says. And so, uh, we hold in our hands a wonderful truth. And this is the source of our savor. If we try to go out here and we try to clean up society or we try to redirect society, that's why I say so often the answers to our country don't lie in our elections. Now, I think we ought to be prayerful and careful to be uh, electing the right people. But if we're expecting our politicians to clean up the United States of America, we're looking in the wrong place. Because the truth doesn't lie in legislation. The truth lies in the Word of God. And so if we're to be salt, if we're going to make a difference, if we're going to be a savory salt, we need to know God's Word. Secondly, uh, we need to keep ourselves unspotted from the world. Uh, when we start allowing the... Uh, and, and we talked a little bit about this in the morning service. One of the things that causes salt physically to lose its savor, real salt, to lose its savor is when it is contaminated with a foreign substance. It causes the savor to, to be gone from the salt. Uh, it's thenceforth good for nothing. All you can do is throw it out and trot it under in the streets. And the Bible talked about that in uh, Matthew chapter number 5. So we dealt with this issue of being a savory uh, Christian, a savory salt. And I want to build on that foundation a little bit this afternoon in the area of um, uh, making sure that our walk with God is what it should be. And I know I've given a lot of how-tos and a lot of pointers on praying and Bible reading. And I want to uh, try to... Uh, Maybe, maybe invoke the, the importance of this a little bit more, more of a motivational message this afternoon on the importance of our walk with God, our time spent in the Bible. Look with me, if you will, in Matthew chapter number 14, and, uh, and we're going to begin reading. Let's, uh, oh, let's start, we'll start in verse number 20, 22. Let's go from 22. So he's just, just to give you the background, he's just come from uh, the feeding of the 5,000. And the Bible says, uh, in verse 22, And straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and to go before him unto the other side while he sent the multitudes away. 
And when he had sent the multitudes away. So now, remember, when we started teaching on the Beatitudes, there were two types of people. We had the multitudes, and we had the... Well, you guys are really sharp this afternoon. It's all that sodium you all had for lunch. If you hadn't had sodium, you'd have a sharp mind. So we have the multitudes, and we have the disciples. Okay, so he sends the disciples away. He also sends the multitudes away. And once they're all sent away, I want you to notice what it says here. He, speaking of Christ, he did what? What are the next two words? He went up. Do we see that? Verse 23. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain. And I want you to notice this word, apart, to pray. Father, we pray that you'll bless the message and may... May we learn some things that will help us to have a walk with You that will allow us to be a savory salt in this world. Lord, we're living in a time where we must have some men and we must have some women that will consecrate themselves and pay the price. That they will give themselves diligently and fervently to walking with You to having Your power and Your truth in our hearts so full and overflowing that as we go through this world and as we come in contact with those that are lost, we can be a savory salt. Help us, I pray. May Your Holy Spirit guide and direct us as we teach this afternoon. And may it be something that will help us be more like You, be more effective in doing the work that You've given us the responsibility to do. And so, Father, please help us this afternoon. I am frail, and I know that there are failures in my heart that I cannot overcome to be able to adequately preach the truth of this Word. Lord, my knowledge and my vocabulary, the the desire of my heart is great, but, Lord, there are certain frailties I cannot overcome to do justice to this truth. And so, Lord, I ask that You would Impress it upon the hearts of our folks by the leading of Your Holy Spirit as we look into this passage. Lord, may we not miss the thing that You have for us here so vitally important to our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As Jesus has been busy serving, He's been busy doing miracles, He's been around His disciples, He's been teaching them, He's discipling them. He's dealing with multitudes and performing miracles and meeting their needs and helping them. I want us to understand this, that God is not ever weak, but Christ came and He humbled Himself and was made in the form of man. And He, during this time that He spent on earth, limited His physical abilities to the same physical abilities you and I have. There were times that he was thirsty. He said so on the cross. There were times that he was weary. Times that he fell beneath the load. And he felt the infirmities of the flesh. The things that you and I deal with. He felt the the weakness and the, the strain of the weight of serving. Not because he was not powerful as God, but because he on purpose limited himself to our abilities while he was here in this life and could experience this, and could understand by way of example, and be a high priest 
who could not be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, he understood exactly in all points what we go through because he limited himself and allowed himself to feel them. As we get to verse number 23, he found it necessary, having spent time serving the, uh, the, the, uh, the Father and doing the will of the Father, having spent time teaching his disciples and uh, preaching to the multitudes and meeting their needs, he found it important that he go apart to pray. I think this is one of the areas in our lives that we struggle so much with. We, we have our devotion time. Maybe we set it aside at a certain time and we, uh, we, we have our plan in place. We have our Bible reading. It's all structured. It's all formatted. Can I encourage you, there is some benefit to scheduling your time with the Lord. And if that's what it takes to get you to be regular in your walk with God, I highly encourage it. I don't think there's anything wrong with scheduling your time with the Lord. And I think there ought to be a particular time. But I want to plead with you that we do not leave the Holy Spirit out of our time spent in the Word of God. If we're not careful by scheduling every nuance of it, we'll get to the point where it becomes habitual and we do not get anything out of it. We go through the motions. We go through the routine of it. And I'll tell you how you can find when that's happening in your life. When you begin to sense that your salt is not as savory as it used to be, there is a need for you and I to have a a fervent, I think would be the best word to use, a fervent walk with God, an intense walk with God. I'm not one to put a whole lot of emphasis on uh, living our life by our feeling, but I believe there ought to be an intense emotional purposing in our hearts a fervency, if you will, a hunger and a thirst, a statement of dependence upon Him. And the psalmist was so so brilliant in penning these words uh, as the Holy Spirit inspired him to do so about his dependence upon the Lord. In Psalm 119, over and over again, you'll find he makes statements such as, were it not for thy statutes, my soul would have failed or been consumed. And the idea that, Lord, I have to have you. He spoke of the hunger and the thirst of his heart for the commandments of the Lord, for the statutes of the Lord, for the truth of the Lord. In Psalm 19, he spoke, More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. He spoke of, As the heart panteth after the water brooks, so longeth my soul after thee, O Lord. As in Psalm 53, he says, O Lord, O God, Thou art my God, early will I seek Thee. In Psalm 119, in verse number 9, he says, With my whole heart have I sought Thee. O let me not wander from Thy commandments. And the, the hunger and the thirst and the desire for the things of God. This is what it means when we speak of having a walk with God that gives savor to our soul. We're speaking not of just a routine motion of a devotional time, but to have a fervency in our spirit of walking with God, of coming to His Word. And I was reading some things this week and preparing for the message this afternoon, and I came across a statement by Matthew Henry. I don't agree with everything Matthew Henry says, but I liked the statement that he made. And he made this statement. He said, those who are not Christ's followers 
Are those, those are not Christ's followers who cannot enjoy being alone with God and their own hearts. He says these are not Christ's followers who cannot enjoy being alone with God and their own hearts. Can I tell you that in order for us to have salt that is savory, our walk with God needs to hunger and thirst and long for the solitude of our spirit with God, our heart with Him. Lord, I long to be alone with You. I love meetings when there's fiery preaching and there's good songs like Wonderful that we sang this morning. Man, I'll tell you, he was playing through the verse and I was reading that chorus. I about got up and shouted on the chorus. It's a good song. And I love corporate worship and I love coming together in revival services and you, you just you can almost reach out and touch the presence of God. It feels so real. And I love those times, but all oh, that we would hunger and thirst for the solitude of God's presence. I've said it so often before, our public worship is important, but it will never be what it should be until our private worship with God is, in, is what it should be. Our public praying is important, but it'll never be what it should be unless in our prayer closets we have time alone with God in prayer. There should be a hunger and a thirst, a desire, a fervency of spirit to be alone with God in His Word, such that we don't have to schedule the time. We look forward to it every day. We don't want to miss it. We make sure that we, don't, that we don't neglect that. If everything else in our life is neglected that day, we surely don't want to neglect this. W.A. Criswell was said to rise at eight o'clock or 5 o'clock every morning, and he would study, study his Bible from 5 o'clock in the morning until noon every day. Every day. There was a hunger and a thirst there. I was reading a, a, a fellow who wrote an article on, uh, he was writing a little commentary on uh, Matthew 14, 22 and 23 that we just read a moment ago. And, and he made a statement, he said, when I was in college, he said, one of my professors said this, he said, you may have corn or you may have corn shucks. He says, give me my mornings alone with God and I'll give you corn every time. But interrupt me all morning and don't allow me to study and I'll give you corn shucks. And I tell you this, that there are often times, and this is the great battle of the Christian life, that with sincerity and with good intent, we schedule time to walk with God or have a devotional time, but there's no fervency in it. There's no hungering and thirsting. There's no desire for that solitude with Him, of that communion with Him. And we sing that song, and He walks with me, and He talks with me, and He tells me I am His own. We sing that song, a sweet hour of prayer. Sweet hour of prayer. You, you know, I remember the first time I was a teenager. Uh, I'd been in revival services and, and heard people preach. And I'd been to youth conferences and youth camps. They always told you, okay, you need to have your own personal alone time with God. And I remember as a teenager, <clears throat> for the first time, willingly, not being made by mom and dad from a part of my chore list, but willingly saying, Lord, I want to spend time with you. And I remember that evening going after mom and dad went to bed and I can still picture the couch my mom had there in the living room and I remember kneeling down at that couch. And I prayed. Oh, it was sweet. I mean, I poured my heart out. 
I prayed for mom and dad. I prayed for everything I had that was going on in my life. I prayed for my brother and even my sister and prayed for everything. Prayed for the church. I thought, Lord, it is sweet. That hour in prayer has sure been wonderful. And I got done praying and I looked at my watch. It had been seven minutes. I'll tell you this, it wasn't about the time though. It was sweet. I will say this, as I continued in that practice, time became something that was never even thought about. There was a sweetness there. There was a time where there was no longing or no desire to leave because it was so precious. Folks, if we're going to be a salt that has not lost its savor, there has to be a walk with God that has some fervency to it. There needs to be a walk with God that has some level of intensity. Of I'm not saying that we need to have emotion to walk with God. I'm saying when that walk is so sweet, there's going to be some emotion from it. There's going to be something that's stirring. There's going to be a sweetness there. There's going to be times you're going to get done saying what, you're, what you have to pray for. You may not even be able to think of anything else to pray. And you still don't want to rise and leave. You just sit there for a few moments. Because you just don't want to leave the presence of the Lord. And I know He lives inside of us. I know His presence ought to always go with us and guide us. We ought to walk in His presence. But you know what I'm talking about, those of you that have been there. There's times when you're in that solitude. Free of distraction. The cares of this life are so far faded from your memory that only you and God are there. And there's a a sweetness to that. And I say that if we're going to be ones that are salty Christians that have a savor about us, this is the kind of walk with God we're speaking of. Jesus, God's own Son, found it important. And I believe both by way of sustaining His willingness to be in the flesh while He was here, and both by way of example. He sends the people away. He even sends His own disciples away, those that are closest to Him. And He goes apart alone to pray. There is a sweetness, there's a fervency, the solemnness that comes from this, seeking to be alone with God. I would say this, secondly, and this is not a long message this afternoon, but I do want to bring a second point to it. There ought to be a solemnness, not just a solitude, but there ought to be a solemnness of our time with God. This isn't time... For us to just come in and, and joke with God and cut up with God. But a, if there's going to be a fervency of spirit in this, there needs to be a solemnness to it. There needs to be a recognition of who He is and an understanding of who we are. And I think that the more we do this and the more that we come into His presence in this manner, the more He will expose and, and give us understanding of who He is, the more He'll reveal that. And He cannot reveal more of Himself without us realizing and understanding even more 
who and what we really are. You can't draw nigh to holiness without seeing your own sinfulness. And the closer we draw to Him, the more we see our undone condition. There ought to be a solemnness. This isn't a time, and I, I, I'm, I'm a firm believer of this, and I, you know, there's preachers out there that may disagree with me, but there was a day years ago when I was younger in ministry that you know, we'd do all kinds of special events to get people to come to church. Can I tell you this? We just need to rest in the power of the Lord to do the work. We get out here and we plant and we water and we let God give the increase. We let His Holy Spirit draw men to Him. If anything else draws men to Him, it's going to be false at best. It is the Holy Spirit that does the work in the heart of man. Not a carnival clown. Not a bouncy house. It's the Spirit of Almighty God that needs to do a work, not only in the hearts of men, but I'm saying this, if you and I are to be salty Christians and have a salt that has not lost its savor, the Holy Spirit of God has got to be the power that rests and resides inside of us. There's got to be a source of Him. Not methods, not gimmicks, not, not, not the appeal of the flesh, but there needs to be a resting of the power of God upon us. By His Holy Spirit. I want you to hold your place here in Matthew for a moment. Turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter number 2. Many of you can quote this passage, and you'll probably know it by heart when we see it. 2 Timothy chapter number 2. Verse number 15. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse number 15 says, Study to show thyself approved unto God. A workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. There's so much in this verse. I wish we had time to just preach the whole message on this. But can I tell you this? It tells us to study. It doesn't tell us to plan. It doesn't tell us to come up with programs. It tells us to study. To come into God's Word. To feast upon it. To study. To show thyself approved unto God. A what? Sounds like work to me. Sounds like labor to me. Sounds like some effort to me. Sounds like maybe some sweat that will be given. Maybe some tears that's going to be shed. Workmen that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. I tell you, when we come into God's presence, when we walk with Him, there needs to be a sense of solemnness, a sense of a sense of holiness about that place. I have shared with you before the time that I took a group of young people to a camp. In the heat of the day, we got sodas and we went over and sat in the open-air tabernacle for some shade. And one of the workers came and said, Would you mind stepping outside of the tabernacle to drink your drinks? He said, You know, we know this is just a building. It's just sawdust. But he said, What happens in this place is very, very sacred. Very sacred. In Leviticus chapter number 10, two sons of Aaron lit a fire that was a fire that was not pleasing to God. They did not do it God's way. God killed them for it. When the Israelites were moving the Ark of the Covenant, a man by the name of Uzzah stuck out his hand to 
I believe in sincerity and in honest attempt to try to hold the cart steady. But because they didn't do it God's way, God struck him dead. God is serious about this thing of our worship to Him. It's not something to be taken lightly. We live, Folks, we're living in a day where the worship of God has become a joke in our church houses. Where our walk with Him and our recognition of Him is done with such an arrogance and self-centeredness. Our worship is never about us. There needs to be a solemnness when we come into God's presence, recognition of who He is and who we are. I don't think there's anything wrong with organization. I don't think there's anything wrong with setting a time. When we come to the time spent with God, it needs to be done with a fervency of spirit and with the solemnness of heart. It was said years ago that the altars of the churches, they were called mourning benches. Some of the old, I've been in some of the old, hundred-year-old churches with the old wooden platforms, worn, well-worn. You know, closely, you can see places where they were stained with tears, stained with sweat. Places in front of them where the knees had knelt. There was a, a fervency in that day when men would come before God. There was a time when worship with God was really not at all about us, but it was all about Him. But we don't live in that day anymore, do we? I'm talking about even in our good, independent what we would consider fundamental King James Version churches. We're, we're finding more and more programs that depend upon men's methods, men's ideas. And what we must have, what we must have, and what we must hunger and thirst for is a powerful, fervent walk with God that we may study to show ourselves approved not unto men. We're not out here doing what we do for men's approval, but approved unto God. Workmen that need not to be ashamed. I've been in preachers' meetings other preachers around, and they would ask one another, hey, how's your church doing? How are things going? And every time they ask that question, I cringe, because I know what the answer is going to be. The answer is going to be building, attendance, and finances. Well, we're in a building program. Boy, our attendances are up, and our offerings are up. Maybe they'll mention salvations and baptisms. Can I tell you this? Wouldn't it be wonderful if somebody said, How's your church doing? Oh, we're sensing the power of God doing a work. God's doing something in the hearts of men. We need to have salty Christians in this world. Trust me, we have plenty that have lost their savor. 
Oh, they may even be saved. They may be truly born again. Long ago, they've lost their savor. Polluted by the things of this world. Contaminated. There needs to be a heart made consecration. There needs to be a fervency in spirit of committing to God, saying, Lord, I want my walk with You to be one of fervency. I want it to be close. I want it to be precious. To hunger and to thirst after the truth of His Word. To hunger and thirst for the leading of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And don't worry about what the clock says. Don't worry about what the schedule is. Oh, that we would learn to seek the Lord's presence and to walk with Him. Not just to go through the motions, not just to go through the time to check it off of our calendar. Not just to say, I've read this many chapters today. But to say, Lord, I want to walk with You today. I want Your presence very real. Our world is is hungering, I would say, at the point of starving, for there to be some salty Christians, people that will come in contact and make a difference. They'll have a purifying effect on this world. They'll have a preserving effect on this people and this generation. We would see men come to the saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. I understand there are going to be some who are hard-hearted that are going to reject the work of the Lord. But if every person we come in contact with, every one of them, does not respond to the Word of God that we have showing forth in our life or coming out of our lips, then I would have to say that we are a salt that has lost its savor. In order for us to get that back, we must walk with God. We must seek for His truth, for the power of the Holy Spirit to work in us the truth that He's given to us, and to be able to give it boldly to those that need to hear it. Let's stand together, shall we, with heads bowed. I don't normally give an invitation in the afternoon service, but in light of the message of the day, and just because of the nature of the message this afternoon, I just do want to give a moment. We don't want to spend an overly long period of time. I'm going to ask if we would, if we could have just a verse or so of an invitation song. If God has spoken to your heart, perhaps we'd come. What about our walk with?